Yes. All right. The question was, um, so we were just talking about valuing life in the Ten Commandments. So what about um, the death penalty? Is it ever justified? Is, I think the part of the question. I was just curious what you thought because you said that. Yeah. Like... Uh, once again, Christians have been wrestling with this forever. Um, and so we have verses like in the book of Genesis, after Noah and the flood, Genesis chapter 9. Um, God saying, look, if you take the life of someone else... Right, God's judgment will be on you. He will take your life. So some people interpret that to mean, okay, like if you're a murderer, then we should apply the death penalty to you. Uh, some Christians have said, well, maybe that's kind of a, a hyper-specific application of that, that maybe that's not the way to apply that in all cases. Interesting, if you go through the Old Testament in the law, so beyond just the Ten Commandments, there's all these case laws uh, and so one of them is like, yeah, if you have a kind of premeditated murder, like you've thought about this, you've planned it, you've hated this person, then you waited for them and did this, uh, you would get the death penalty. But there's, even in the Old Testament, they have this like manslaughter law. So maybe you were, I don't know, pushing a cart and it fell on someone and they died. Well, you didn't murder them with intent. It was an awful accident. But the responsibility is on you. So God provides a way actually for that person to experience mercy in that. So there's like these cities of mercy that you can go, these cities of refuge, uh, and not face the death penalty there. So interesting that even in the law, even in talking about killing and death and stuff like that, uh, that there are exceptions for, not exceptions, but like there's different ways to apply it according to the circumstance. Um, yeah, personally, I get a little, yeah, like, okay, death penalty, how do we want to live this out? You know, a lot of Christians would identify as pro-choice, or no, sorry, wow, I said the wrong thing. A lot of Christians identify as pro-life. So, you know, are we pro-life enough? Do we let that carry over, even for, say, criminals? You can still be in jail the rest of your life. That's not a, that's a punishment, right? Uh, you are essentially kind of taking away their life and their freedom. Um, but other Christians would disagree. So there's kind of different ways to approach that. Okay, I was more curious about your own thought process on that. Yeah. Because you said that. It's like, well, what's your opinion on that? But... All right, what else? I'm trying to find where I put that Google form. What? No, not the form. Oh. The, the question box on this Oh, Instagram. All right, let me read Jonathan's question from Instagram. <laughs> is this really a question for you? <laughs> All right, it is a good question, but let me put pause and see if there are other questions first, okay? Bailey, thank you. I love repeating myself. Go for it. <laughs> but you talked about how, like, how you keep the law can reflect on your, like, what your heart is towards God. And how do you think, um, like, we can keep this from becoming legalistic or, like, becoming, like, yeah. overcome with, like, um, guilt or even just, like, like throwing pity parties type of thing? Yeah. Like that. What would be your advice for that? And, like, where would you think the line goes? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I think that's a lived experience for a lot of us, right? Like, I know what God's Word says, and yet I either find myself falling short of it regularly. Um, you know, I struggle with a certain aspect of the law or certain things Jesus tells us. Or I get kind of overconfident in, you know, I feel like I'm doing really well. And we often kind of ping pong between those two of we feel like we're obeying and we're on top of it and we're living a really godly life. And then we stumble and fall and then we're throwing massive pity party and inviting everyone to it. Right. Um, so, yeah, how to how to. I don't know, work through that? How to avoid that? Yeah. yeah. And just like, how do, how do we not think, oh, well, like, if I'm not obeying in these ways, then that must mean that my heart towards God is, like, all wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, two people I would quote on this. Uh, one, to hopefully help you feel very seen, is Martin Luther himself, uh, who, in writing in the book of his commentary on Galatians, he says, we're always falling off the horse one way or the other, either towards legalism, like I've got to follow the law so God will be happy with me, or towards like licentiousness, like living with no license. Uh, And the horse is like the gospel, right? That we always want to be, you know, like resting in the gospel, and yet we're often falling off one way or the other. And this is Martin Luther himself, like the guy who kicked off the Reformation said, yeah, I struggle with this too. Um... Someone else I would quote, or some of you actually know, is David Strain, uh, Pastor First Press Jackson, Mississippi. Woo-woo. Um, <laughs> he was talking one time about this reality, and he's like, look, you know, as Christians, if we're not talking about God's grace being something so, like, covering of our sins, almost to the point where it's, like, a little uncomfortable, like, God's grace has covered your sins so much that, like, you don't need to feel down about it, actually, because, like, he's covered your sins so thoroughly and completely, uh, then we might not actually be talking about his grace enough. And then he followed that up with saying, at the same time, <laughs> like, if we're not clarifying, right, the law that we often fall short of, uh, then we could be abusing his grace, too. Um, so I think God's grace actually should push us past some of the, like, pity partiness that we tend to throw for ourselves. Um, And often that's another means of legalism. It's another way of kind of beating up ourselves, right? You can be legalistic and say, I obey all the rules and God loves me. Or you can say, God, you must hate me because clearly, you know, I can't do it. And God, if I kind of like whip myself enough internally, then you will love me. If I just kind of make myself feel like crap enough, then you'll love me. And both of those are missing the gospel, which is his grace is sufficient for you. It's covered all of those sins, both your self-righteousness and the ways you've fallen short. Um, and I think at times the amount of grace we receive does should feel a little uncomfortable in how overwhelming it is and meets us in both of those areas. Um, I wanted to ask how, like, what are ways that you can be assured that God has actually saved you? Mm. Like that you are actually a Christian that he loves? Yeah. Um, That's a really good question. Yeah. How do you know that you've been saved? How do you have assurance of salvation? Um, Have you ever read the Psalms? (laughs) That's a somewhat facetious question. But like the amazing thing about the Psalms is David himself is all the time like, 
God, do you even love me? Like, I'm in the pit, you know? I'm going to die. And, like, if I die, what good is this going to be for you? Like, where are you? Um, That often we feel like that, especially when we're really feeling like crap, when we feel low. We wonder where God is. And once again, we're not alone in feeling that way. We're not the first Christians who have felt that way and maybe even doubted, am I saved? Um, So even scripture speaks to that reality. And yet the beautiful thing is so many of those Psalms start with that, like, God, where are you? And end with, look, even though I'm not out of the pit yet, like I'm going to put my trust in you. That faith is not having zero doubts. The op- often we think the opposite of faith is doubt, but actually the opposite of faith is pride. Let me say that again. Sometimes we think the opposite of faith is doubt. But the opposite of faith is pride. Pride is saying, I have all the answers figured out. I've got it. I used this earlier in small group. <laughs> Blue Sam's mind. Uh, the opposite of faith is pride because it's saying, like, I have all the answers. I don't need God to solve this for me. I don't need his grace. I can figure this out on my own. Um, whereas faith is saying, look, I, this world is hard. There are a lot of things I don't understand. So that's why I have to trust Jesus. And even when I don't feel it, maybe in the way that I th- even think I need to feel it, that that is still true, right? That it's not the strength of our faith, but the one we're putting our faith in that really matters. You know, Jesus says, like, if you have faith like a mustard seed, so it's not about the size of your faith, but the must, faith of the size of a mustard seed is in the one who can do this in your life. So all that comes back to, I think we actually do have great assurance even in the midst of moments of doubt and struggle. And man, not to berate the whole Reformation thing, but there's all these amazing documents from the Catholic Church at the time where we think that they'd be like, oh no, this Martin Luther guy, he's talking about like salvation by grace alone. That's the problem. No, their biggest concern was Martin Luther's going around telling people they can be assured of their salvation. That like, that's what they were really mad about. (laughs) They were like, we want people to come to confession and feel really bad and doubt their salvation. So then they like, you know, buy indulgences and stuff like that. And Martin Luther said, no, the Bible says if you put your faith in Jesus, that's it. Like, yeah, even, even weak faith, even small faith, you can have great assurance even in that. So. All right, maybe time for one more. Adam. So, so I, I was on Instagram the other day, and I, I saw some people talking about a verse in 2 Kings 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I would like, I mean, context for it. It seems kind of strange. Can I pull it? 2 <laughs> Kings 2? Yes, verse, starting in verse 23. All right. You want to read it for us? Uh, I, um, yeah. Uh, he went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Oh, I remember this one. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two sheep bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there, he went on to Mount Carmel and return to Samaria. Yeah, I think that explains itself. Let's sing the doxology. Uh, Yeah, man, there's some weird stuff in the Bible sometimes. Totally. Um, 
Yeah, okay, so this is Elisha, right? So he, uh, he's following Elijah as the prophet of God, right? And then we have this weird story where these boys come out and they make fun of him for being bald and then bears come out and kill the boys. She bears, man. Don't mess with mamas. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. The the really simple answer is, I don't exactly know what's going on there, and I want to be humble enough to admit that. Uh, but I promise I will get a more thorough answer and bring it next week. How about that? It just seems kind of strange. It does seem place. strange. Yeah. Can I add something? You want to about she bears? No, actually, got a pro t- <laughs> there was actually a pastor I had listened to a sermon for before. When it says boys, it may it may not have been referring to like little kids. It's more like like teenagers, teenagers, little, little grown crunks. like yeah. young adults that were saying that. Uh-huh. They were more so thugs than yeah. Maybe not. I don't remember the exact thing. This was like a couple years ago. I think the real takeaway is if you mess with me, <laughs> get the she bear. Like it was, it wasn't just because they were some little kids, right? Right. Uh, probably has to do with dishonoring God's prophet, uh, disrespecting His word. The prophets are representatives of God and His word, and so for them to be making fun of Him in this kind of crass way is ultimately reflecting disrespect onto God. That would be my short answer now, but I will look this up and bring a more satisfying answer next week. I think that's a good note to close on. <laughs> So why don't we stand and sing the doxology?